Welcome to our third annual Broadway Music Sunday. Two years ago, we presented excerpts from Pippin and last year, Les Mis. We look forward to many more Broadway-themed Sundays in the future. And when Deb and I were discussing what musical to select for this year, she said that one of the musicals she particularly wanted us to do at some point was The Wiz. Deb fell in love with that music during her time as a chorus and theater teacher in Gaithersburg at this racially diverse high school where she taught for many years, and she wanted to share that music at some point here with us at UUCF. And part of what we will hope will happen with each of these Music Sundays is that some of you will be inspired to discover or rediscover these musicals in greater depth for yourself. More generally, our intention is to do what we seek to do each week, which is to draw wisdom and truth from a rotating set of diverse multicultural sources. Our tradition of Unitarian Universalism seeks to find wisdom not only from science and from ancient scriptures, but also from contemporary works of art. Turning our focus to today, the Wiz first opened in 1974, just about an hour from here in Baltimore, Maryland, before moving to Broadway, where it won seven Tony Awards, including Best Musical. Did any of you see it on Broadway? All right. Oh, good. So a few. Interesting. Uh, How about that 1978 film version? Anyone seen that? All right. It was sort of really critically panned at first, and then has become this sort of beloved cult classic. That's the one starring Diana Ross as Dorothy, Michael Jackson as the Scarecrow, Richard Pryor as the Wiz, Lena Horne as Glinda the Good Witch, and Mabel King as Eveline, the Wicked Witch of the West. And again, although critics at the time uncharitably criticized Diana Ross for being, quote, too old to play Dorothy, uh, there's a lot to commend her for this role. She is Diana Ross. (laughs) So uh, Ross was in her early 30s at the time, if you're curious. And interestingly, she's actually the only member of the film's principal cast who is still alive at this time, which is both tragic and makes me think with a little bit of schadenfreude, who's too young now? So, uh, uh, how about The Wiz Live? Anybody see that on TV? It was like two years ago or so. All right, a few of you. For what it's worth, although the 1978 film version has undeniable star power vocally, the singing on the uh, original Broadway cast recording is my personal favorite. But I can also see the appeal of the film version. You get to see the visuals. You get to see it being acted out. Now, the original Broadway version of The Wiz was set like the original Wizard of Oz, uh, but it was the 1978 film version that changed the setting to New York City. And that choice to stage the original Broadway version with an all-black cast and then to shift it to an urban setting with the film version is part of what was known as this black-led, black exploitation movement of the early 1970s. That first wave of black exploitation influenced a second wave in the late 80s and early 90s. Think about Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing and John Singleton, Boys in the Hood. So it was di- black directors who grew up on these 1970s black-led, black exploitation films. We see that manifesting a new generation of that in the late 80s and 90s. Um, It's also in Quentin Tarantino's films uh, very explicitly, uh, as well as hip-hop culture generally. 
But a lot more to say about all that, but uh, I'm getting a little too far away from the uh, whiz. So let me also switch the uh, directions and say the other, when we look the other way, Broadway's version of the whiz was released on the 75th anniversary of Frank Baum's uh, classic uh, children's novel, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, that was originally published in 1900. Baum wrote 13 additional Oz books. Some of you may know the sequels to The Wizard of Oz and that famous film adaptation of with Judy Garland was 1939. Now, I'll get out of the way shortly and we'll get to the music, but any of you that know me well know that we're not going to bring up The Wizard of Oz without me talking a little bit about the nerdy allegorical interpretations of that mythology. And it's interesting to note that although that original book was published in 1900 and the film version in 1939, the allegorical interpretation did not break into public consciousness until 1964, when a high school teacher named Henry Littlefield published an article titled, The Wizard of Oz, A Parable on Populism. It invited readers to look beneath the story to see a potential symbolic allegory about U.S. economics and politics in the 1890s. That was the decade when Baum was writing his book that was published in 1900. Now, as far as scholars can tell, Baum left no concrete evidence that he consciously wrote The Wizard of Oz as a political allegory, and virtually no one read it as one until 60 years later. Baum died in 1919 at the age of 62, about four decades too early to ask him what he would have thought of these interpretations of potential monetary symbolism in his writing. Of course, even if authors are still alive, they sometimes misrepresent their uh, intentions to critics for various reasons. Moreover, there are times that writers unconsciously incorporate symbols and archetypes into their writings, even not meaning to on a conscious level. So proponents of the allegorical interpretation see The Wizard of Oz in all its versions as, a, as about the plight of Western farmers in the late 19th century who had been economically devastated in the decades following the Civil War, not by inflation, but by deflation. In 1896, William Jennings Bryant was the presidential nominee both for the Democratic Party as well as for the Populist Party. And at that 1896 Democratic National Convention, he gave his famous cross of gold speech against the gold standard in which he proclaimed, you shall not crucify mankind upon a cross of gold. Instead, on behalf of Western farmers, he said, we've got to get rid of the gold standard and we need to have a free silver movement, that the government should stamp silver bullion into coins upon demand to increase monetary supply and end deflation. Now, as we proceed with the story, I'll share some more about this allegorical interpretation, but there are many other universal themes. Indeed, our opening song is not about politics, it's about parenting. And in the wake of an argument over Dorothy's daydreaming and dawdling when her aunt and uncle thought she should be working, Aunt M later regrets her harsh words to Dorothy and laments the distance that has grown between herself and her niece. She remembers when Dorothy was younger, and she longs for the feeling we once had. Put your arms around me, child, like when you bumped your then you'll know I love you now Like I loved you then Though you may be trying sometimes And I'll need you And you're not there 
Not long after that family conflict between Aunt Em and Dorothy, a tornado picks up Dorothy's family farmhouse, and unlike her aunt and uncle who were in the storm cellar, Dorothy's in the farmhouse, and she's carried inexplicably to the land of Oz. Now, according to that populist allegory, Dorothy of Kansas represents some of the best traits of the American West. She's honest, she's kind-hearted, she's plucky. And in this interpretation, it is no coincidence that Dorothy's farmhouse lands precisely on the wicked witch of the East, who is seen as representing the corrupt Eastern financial industrial interests, such as Wall Street, who won't listen to the plight of the farmers. As some of you may recall, although Judy Garland wore ruby slippers in the original novel, as well as in the versions of The Wiz, what color slippers did she wear? Silver, yeah, some of you know. And what did William Jennings Bryan Cross of Gold speech call for? Free silver, that's right, as a monetary standard. So from this populist perspective, these financial elites in the East were the ones refusing to incorporate silver and saying we can only have a gold standard. So here we have this Kansas farm girl who killed the wicked witch of the Eastern financial elites and taking her silver slippers down the yellow which what's the color of gold, brick road, to the capital city, Oz slash Washington, D.C., where they could petition for potential change, right? And the name Oz, of course, has been explicitly seen as an abbreviation OZ for ounce, which is what, you know, the unit of measurement for gold, the unit of measurement for silver. This stuff goes deep, people. Like, uh... <laughs> I'm not even getting into all the details, uh, layers and details of this out. You know, toto, teetotalers, anyway, it goes deep. <laughs> po- you know, real a- allies of the populace, anyway, so much more. At this point, however, Dorothy is not excited about her potential journey to this capital city. Um, she's just homesick, and the only thing she can think of is all that she'll do soon as I get home. There's a feeling here inside that I cannot hide, and I know I've tried, but it's turning me around. Dorothy soon comes to accept the reality of her situation and begins her journey. Ease on Down the Road is probably the most well-known and popular song in the musical. It's the Wiz's R&B take on Follow the Yellow Brick Road and We're Off to See the Wizard. And as I've been uh, listening to and reflecting on this musical in recent days, it's this song in particular that has sort of resonated unexpectedly with my meditation practice. It's the one that keeps coming to mind. I uh, personally have the most experience with sort of concentration and mindfulness practices, breath counting and noting. But recently I've been exploring some basic aspects of what is known as Mahamudra meditation. Now that's a large and complex um, tradition in Buddhism. Uh, but I'll give you just a taste of it. Uh, Because whether for Dorothy in the rural land of Oz, the Wiz Films, more urban setting in New York City or in our lives today, this challenge to ease on down the road can be a lot easier said than done. 
So to talk about what might give us just even a taste of ease amidst the chaos that our lives can sometimes be, uh, here's just one uh, angle and introduction to the Mahamudra tradition. One of the basic instructions is to imagine yourself listening to a distant object that you'll never actually be able to hear. So it might be distant ships in a harbor, or my favorite is actually stars in the sky. So you can leave your eyes open or you can close them, whatever you're comfortable doing so, but imagine yourself lying on the ground and looking up and listening to the stars in the sky. The goal of making that shift is to change ourselves from a stressed out, constricted, zoomed in focus on whatever is stressing us out to a more expansive, zoomed out state of awareness. And as you imagine yourself lying down, listening to the stars in the sky, if something difficult um, comes to your awareness, I invite you to practice gently saying a word like allowing or releasing or accepting, whichever of those words feels right to you. And then allow that um, thought to pass on down the river of your consciousness. Let's practice that just for a few breaths. So you're listening to the stars in the sky and then experimenting gently with that one of those words. Allowing, releasing, or accepting. invite you to gently return your attention to the room and I offer that practice to you of allowing, releasing, accepting as something you might experiment in the coming days and weeks to try to get a taste of what it can feel like to ease on down the road. So as Dorothy's silver shoe journey continues down the golden yellow brick road, first she meets the scarecrow who has been told he just has no brains in that straw head of his. Allegorically, of course, he is a literal straw man, a stereotype of a supposedly dumb rural farmer, but we come to see that the scarecrow is quite shrewd and capable. Next, Dorothy meets the Ten Woodsmen, symbolic of workers in the lumber industry who have increasingly been treated less like humans and more like robots, and the Ten Man's rust symbolizes prolonged unemployment. And so we hear this call to slide some oil to me. Oil. 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 Oil? Oh, my. <coughs> Slice some oil to me. Let it trickle down my spine. 
If you don't have STP, Crisco will do just fine. Slide some oil to me, hit my shoulder blades. Those who don't have to lubricate sure do have it made. As Dorothy continues down the yellow brick road, she soon encounters the third and final companion on her journey. He presents himself as mean, but soon proves to be a cowardly lion. And after a harrowing fight in the forest, in which the lion again gives in to his cowardice, Dorothy tries to embolden him to embrace his true nature and be a lion. There is a place we'll go where there is mostly quiet flowers and butterflies a rainbow lives beside it be a And so we have come to the end of Act 1. Act 2 opens with the Wicked Witch of the West. She wants those silver slippers that Dorothy took from her sister. And the Wicked Witch threatens her supporters if they bring her any bad news about failing to get those slippers from Dorothy. And honestly, these days, I think that's a perspective that many of us can empathize with. And I'm not talking about self-care and seeking balance. I'm talking about that temptation to stop paying attention altogether and say, don't nobody bring me no bad news. When I wake up in the afternoon, which it pleases me to do, don't nobody bring me no bad news. Cause I wake up already negative and I wire up my fuse. So don't nobody bring me no bad news. No, don't bring me. No, don't bring me no bad news. No bad news. No bad news.
So when I feel that sense of I just don't want any more bad news, sometimes it is time for a media fast to get out into nature, to seek some balance in your life. Other times, though, I'm reminded of a piece of wisdom from the spiritual teacher Henry Nouwen that's really stuck with me through the years. So when I think about the ways in which it can sometimes feel like current events are nothing but toxic to one's um, attempts at spiritual growth, I'm reminded of these words from Nouwen. He writes, Not too long ago, a priest told me that he canceled his subscription to the New York Times because he felt like these endless stories of war and crime, of power games and political manipulations were just disturbing his mind and heart and making it feel impossible to meditate or to pray. Nouwen says, That's actually a sad story to me because it suggests that only by denying the world might you be able to live in it. That only by surrounding yourself uh, with a self-induced artificial quietude might you have a spiritual life. Now, it invites us to consider that a real spiritual life, a mature spiritual life, actually does the opposite. It makes us so alert so aware of the world around us that all that happens and everything in the world actually becomes just another piece of our contemplation, just another piece of our meditation, and invites us to respond to whatever happens in the world from a, with a free and fearless response. It's a profound insight that the potential fruit of spiritual practice is not necessarily what happens to you on your knees or on your meditation cushion, but instead the ways that a contemplative practice can change how we are in the world throughout the day, such that every part of our daily life becomes part of our contemplation and meditation and again invites us to a free and a fearless response. That insight from the contemplative tradition is powerful. At the same time, the activist tradition reminds us that it's equally important to remember that by working together, we can potentially change the world so that there actually is less bad news and more good news. Next week, my sermon will be on resistance and resilience in such a time as this. And sometimes it is the case that the tipping point to overthrowing dictators or authoritarians are small but highly symbolic actions. And in the magical world of Oz, the turning point is Dorothy throwing a bucket of water on the wicked witch of the West, creating the possibility for a brand new day. So having defeated the Wicked Witch of the West, Dorothy thinks that she and her company are now home free, only to discover that the Wiz is a con man who tries to go back on his promises. But then the lion accidentally exposes his illusion, and it turns out that the fabled and frightening and seemingly all-powerful Wizard of Oz is actually just a balloonist from Omaha named Herman Smith whose balloon had blown into Oz, similar to the way that the cyclone had carried Dorothy's farmhouse. 
Fortunately, Glinda, the good witch of the South, appears to remind Dorothy and friends that on their journey, they have actually already shown many times that the traits they are seeking from the wizard, courage, intellect, heart, are already present within themselves. They don't need the external validation of some alleged wizard. They just need to believe in yourself. If you believe within your heart, you'll know that no one can change the path that you must go. Believe what you feel and know you're right because the time will come around when you say it's Courage, intelligence, heart are what Dorothy's companions sought. But what Dorothy wanted was to find a way back home to Kansas. And it turns out that Dorothy's way home was with her, too, all along. As we prepare to listen to this final solo, I invite you to consider what are the various meanings of the word home to you. Around the holidays each year, one of my mentors used to say, may we be grateful for family members who are actually like friends and for friends who are like family. The invitation and challenge is to discern at various points in our life the ways that we can and the ways that we can't go home. When I think of home, I think of a place where there's love overflowing. I wish I was home, I wish I was back there with love. Things I've been knowing, when that makes the tall trees bend into leaning. Suddenly the snowflakes that fall have a meaning Sprinkling the sea makes it all clean Nick did a lot of work on this. Can I have my choir soloists? Choir soloists. Lots of people put in a lot of work on this. Yeah. Very nice. Take a bow. And my other soloists. Let me step back. All right. 
Great job. Take a bow. Thank you. Everybody again, just take a bow. Thank you. Our sound person. Oh. Thanks. We couldn't do it without Deb. And, and please notice the beautiful yellow brick road, which was done by the Nancys, Nancy and Nancy, and a bunch of other people that I can't name, but really great job. And Steve, and lots of people, and Anne, and Barbara, and all kinds of people did the yellow brick road. So thank you very much for all of that. Thank you all.